Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Zella made a beat, so it's go time. To another edition of the Core Four Podcast. This is a podcast under SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is also a blog under SB Nation. Find them on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and with me today is Nathan Matthew Hurtchester. Nate, what up? Matthew Hurt, you think that low of me? Uh, we were having a conversation. For those of you who don't get the reference, Matthew Hurt's a top 15 prospect. He's going to Duke this coming year. And uh, he'll probably have a great season at Duke. You know, he's a tall white guy, fits the Christian Leitner mold and all that. That's but, a hot take. Yeah. That is really hot. So, wow. Well, I don't know if he's got that much of a douchebag in him to fulfill that reputation. I know, he has a very punchable face. Yeah, that's true. He's a white guy at Duke. Really, what can you expect? Damn. Uh, <laughs> we just got a white guy at Duke. Come on, man. Uh, so we're completely on the Grayson Island bandwagon now. I've been the captain of it for years. It's- that explains why you got about 10 different tweets in the span of 30 minutes asking if you were okay. You remember the Ted Cruz gif I sent you yeah. right after it happened? Yeah, that was good. That was a good good play by myself, I will say. That was really good. And, uh, Nate, I don't think they really got to hear our thoughts the other day on the Mike Conley trade. So, like, you want to just give our quick thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. Well, in short, it was great. It was really great because um, we thought it was great in the day leading up to the draft, but on draft night, it turned out to be even better. Bro, so many people were falling on draft night. I was sitting there. I was sitting there with Brandon Abraham and Connor Dunning and then one of their friends, uh, Christian Lewis. We were just sitting there like, okay, with this pick, we're either getting Brandon Clark, Nasir Little, or Bol Bol. And you really can't miss if any three of those guys. Mm-hmm. Each one of them would be excellent value at twenty one. And it's yeah, it's because or technically at the time it was twenty three. Oh yeah, that's it was a trade. low yeah, it was a low risk move that they could have taken mm-hmm. because Nasir Little was a top five talent before the season started, as was Bull Bull. Yeah, and Brandon Clark was the most um, 
statistically he probably the top three players in all college basketball last year Analy- by, by analytics and by eye test pretty much too mm-hmm. analytically i think the only person with better numbers than him was zion he had the second highest player efficiency rating in the country behind zion williamson and the stat that he blocked more shots than he missed shots last year which he was like 11 more blocked shots than missed shots that's, that's absurd a, that's a flat out incredible stat in a vacuum it's it's just crazy that might be my favorite stat I've ever seen it's just for me playing basketball growing up I don't even know what the right uh, comp for that would be I can't even think of that like in context to compare it to anything I can't, I've never heard of anything like that before you know I really like Chauncey Billups comparison for him it was Sean Marion mm. but at the same time Chauncey Billups did a terrible job with comparisons and with the looks of it well everybody in this draft is going to be a hall of famer <laughs> well that's the way it's been on uh, draft night for basically the last five or six years remember when mario hisonia was a uh, a ray allen i think it was a ray allen vince carter hybrid because <laughs> he's an athlete I've, I've never heard of that he was an athletic guy who could shoot threes coming out so who's a guy who could shoot threes ray allen who's an athletic guy that you could think of in the nba vince carter He's a mix of Ray Allen and Vince Carter. That's how draft night cops go. Everyone's a Hall of Famer. Everyone's a mix of Hall of Famers. Honestly, for this ESPN draft show, as obnoxious as a lot of people are, they need to do away with these old players giving comps because they're all they all suck. Well, they, they always get, they, get NBA Twitter guys on there. Well, honestly, yeah. And you'll, you'll see Kevin O'Connor, and he'll give very realistic comparisons for his pieces. Right. And sometimes it'll be low-balled, and you think to yourself, like, what? That's it? Well, but it's very realistic. And it, yeah. it and players are, I think, generally, is a, if we're just going by the mean, I think players are more likely to reach their median outcomes than, than they are to become a perennial all-star and mm-hmm. become a total bust. And that's just something that we're not quite willing to recognize every single year. Right, and what he always does, he, Kevin O'Connor on the ringer, he's the main guy, the draft guy, absolutely brilliant. But what he really does with his shades of, it's basically a ceiling, a realistic level, and then a floor. Yeah. And so with that, I really want to dive in on Brandon Clark because, I mean, we've talked about John Rant for the past month. Hmm. I guess, I mean, the only thing we can really say about him is He's an extraordinary passer. He's athletically gifted. And he's going to make this Grizzlies team and everyone on it a lot I better. See, I see, and here's my own Hall of Fame comparison if you want to go with that, but there's a lot of Draymond Green in his game from a playmaking. Wait, comp- Ja? No, uh, Clark. Clark? Yeah. Now, okay. let me explain. I was watching a few of his highlights from Gonzaga, and you'll go and look at his scouting reports, and generally he's projected to be a very good short-roll passer in the NBA. That was something he excelled at at Gonzaga. Um, but you'll hear people say if he develops a three-point shot, then maybe he can become a wing, and that's because he's very athletic. He's very fluid with and without the ball in his hands. You can go look up some of his highlights in Gonzaga, and it was not uncommon for him to grab a rebound on defense and to handle the ball in transition and finish with the dunk on the other end. Right. And Draymond doesn't necessarily finish at the rim with high-flying dunks, and he's not a great finisher around the rim, but Draymond's a guy who can get the ball, and everybody clears out and runs away in transition. He doesn't have to give the ball to Steph Curry or to Klay Thompson. He can just bring the ball up the court and make plays for other people. It's one of the things he excels at. I think that's something Clark could excel at, too, in the NBA. 
Now, will he become the versatile, do-it-all, um, every tool in the toolkit type of defender that Draymond is? Probably not. There, he could. It, he could. He could. He could. That's he's already peak, an that's excellent ceiling. He's yeah. already an excellent perimeter defender, and I mean, Draymond can't even block shots like Clark can. Draymond was not as good of a defender coming out of Michigan State that Clark is right now. Was it Draymond's defensive ability, or was it Izzo's system? I think even in his first year in Golden State when he's coming off the bench, I think he was a good defender, but I don't think he was quite at Clark's level, and he was certainly nowhere near where he is now. Right. I know a lot of um, I know a lot of people have given Clark the comparison to Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. One way I saw the comparison just very vividly was in Clark's spin move. It's a quick spin move and quick bounce off the spin like Siakam. And the thing about Siakam, you could see in the NBA Finals, is it's it's his go-to move, and frankly, it's about his only move in the low post. And he knew it was coming, and he's so good at using his broad shoulders and using his size to create space when he uses the drop step, when he goes to his spin move in the post. Draymond, whoever, just couldn't stop it. He was just able to go to it at will. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we see the same thing with Clark. And one thing I want to talk about is the fit with Jaron Jackson and Brandon Clark. I think it has some work to that needs to be done, but there's so much upside with it. It, it so I in my opinion I'm probably going going a little bit off the rails from a good bit of Grizzlies Twitter, but I am would be completely fine with running Jaron Jackson at the five and Clark at the four in the starting lineup next year. Don't worry about Valanchunas, whether he wants too much money or not. Don't worry about signing a cheaper starting center. Um, I think the concerns about uh, Jackson's body, that he's not quite ready to take the punishment, I generally think that's overblown. The guy didn't play the last 30 games of last season. What do you think he was doing during that time? Right. Yeah, he's living in the weight room. He's working out all the time. And he bulked up considerably from the summer he got drafted to when he started really playing NBA games. He was no slouch. No one pushed him around last year. I think people were amazed at how advanced he was offensively. And I think that was also because he was more skilled than many people initially projected coming out of college. But he was also just a good bit stronger than he was at Michigan State. He was able to carve out space and get to his spots on the court. So will he struggle a little bit guarding the Joel Embiid's of the world? Yes, so is everybody. Joel Embiid's a physical, transcendent freak. Well, his kryptonite's Mark Gasol. Mark Gasol owns everybody, apparently. (laughs) You can say what you want about Mark Gasol's offense, but he's basically Thanos collecting all the infinity stones of the league's top centers when it comes to defense. True that. (laughs) I do like your idea of like throwing Clark and Jackson into the fire at four and five next season. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing you can see and something I only see because this front office has been super savvy is what if Valanciunas costs you four years, $52 million, you'd say no. Obviously, I'm, I think you say no. But I think one thing you can see them doing is giving a veteran center a one-year deal and then around New Year's, closer to the trade deadline, you throw Jackson and Clark into the fires. Like, all right, this is our starting 
uh, power forward and center of the future. We want to start that right now. And you flip that center at the deadline for some sec- for like so, a second round pick or so. So do you sign, uh, let's say, Willie Colley Stein, who j- whose agent just said he no longer wants to be in Sacramento? Do you sign him to like a one-year, $6 million deal or so and uh, hope he – outperforms that veteran minimum deal and plays very well, plays better than he did in Sacramento, and you hope you can flip him for assets at the deadline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's my opinion. Um, yeah. But I really do think that Clark and Jackson are going to complement each other very well mm-hmm. uh, offensively and de- defensively. Clark, he's just going to finish around the rim a lot. And Jackson, he's a skilled perimeter player for his size. I mean, he's known for his shooting, but... I think his game off the dribble is severely underrated. You know, I don't even know if complimenting each other is the right word to use it. I think they just add on top of each other. Um, I don't think you would say Clay Thompson compliments Steph Curry well. I think you just say their combined shooting just overwhelms teams. Um, uh, Brandon Clark is a rim protector. Jaron Jackson is an ex- excellent rim protector. They both can switch into pick and rolls. They can both guard the perimeter well. There will be no weaknesses defensively from the front court. You're not going to have to ask Brandon Clark to defend the Joel Embiid's, Andre Drummond's, and the extremely physical centers of the world because that's the one type of player that he can't guard right now. And those are the kinds of players that I think Jaron, starting this year, will be able to guard, especially with all the time that he's probably spent in the weight room since the midpoint of last season so whether you decide to start Jaron at the five or not you're not going to be asking Clark to defend people like that Clark will be defending one through four for the most part there there are very few lineups where you're going to put Clark at the five there's probably an injury if that's the case and he's playing there Um, but you have just trying to get small Mm -hmm. like if like maybe Houston I mean granted they don't really roll this out in the regular season but what if Houston's doing that lineup where they're throwing PJ Tucker at the five yeah I think that's that's a lot of a lot of what I see Clark doing. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's just like a supercharged PJ Tucker. Maybe so. And we'll see if his uh, jump, if he physically can... fit PJ Tucker. <laughs> we'll see if his jump shot can develop to the point where he could shoot corner threes. But I think the general consensus for next year is that with Ja, uh, Clark, and Jaron, you can throw Dylan in there too with his young core. Hell, even Grayson Allen. <laughs> you can throw them all together. The, uh, next year is going to be fun. These guys are going to grow and develop together. Um, and the general consensus is they're not going to be very good at all. They may win 25, 30 games, and hopefully they won't convey, and they'll be able to keep another top pick for next year's draft. But before we just assume that they're going to be young terrible make a ton of mistakes here's some food for thought here and i am not saying the grizzlies are going to be knocking on the door of the playoffs next year it would take something pretty fantastic um, ja is averaging like 18 and 8 and jared's <laughs> averaging like 22 and 8 22 and 8 a loss. lot of things uh clark has a great rookie a lot of things would have to go right for the grizzlies to be knocking on the door of the playoffs next year um, but before we assume that they're just going to be bad, let me paint you a picture here. Imagine running out a lineup of Kyle Anderson at the three, Brandon Clark at the four, Jaron Jackson at the five, uh, Dylan Brooks at the two, uh, Javon Carter, who will probably be the backup point guard in all likelihood. Ooh. Matt? We got another pod coming for you on that one, though. So, yeah. Imagine, like... That's a heck of a defensive lineup. They can have one of the most versatile and impactful in year one defensive lineups if they so choose on the court. 
And you don't need five um, elite defenders on the court. Javon Carter is not going to be playing anywhere near as much as Ja Morant, probably. And you'd want Ja on the court in those situations. But they have the the versatility and the leeway to be able to go to lineups like that. And that lineup will be able to perform defensively as well as any other defensive lineup in the league. I don't think that's a stretch to say that. You know, I'm really worried about having Kyle Anderson and Brandon Clark on the on the floor at the same time. Yeah, it depends on how much you're willing to sacrifice on offense to be. Uh, <laughs> I guess you do want to throw back to grit and grind. We're going to see how low we can push this defensive and offensive rating at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really worried about Kyle Anderson and if he's on the team because I think he just fits more at the four than the three. If he can come out and at least be like a – 33% three-point shooter and shoot about two or three threes a game. Here's the thing about Kyle Anderson, and this may be a little bit unpopular, but Kyle in the right situation where he's in a rhythm, like he ended up finding after the first couple of months last year. Very good player. He, very good role player. Very good player. He'll help your team in a variety of ways, both as a facilitator and as a defender. But in the wrong situation, let's say on a team that runs and guns, like Memphis is probably going to next year, and a team that could probably use him at the four, which is not where Memphis is going to primarily need him next year, he's a guy that can look like he doesn't belong in the league in the wrong situation. I mean – it, he he's going to be it, it. He's a guy who needs the right situation to be able to thrive and succeed. And when he does thrive, he looks very good. He looks like a very good role player that'll help your team. But even when he was coming from San Antonio, we had those concerns about what will he do in a system that's not run by Pop. And he was able to find his niche with the Grizzlies because the Grizzlies put an emphasis on high IQ, defensive-minded players in which he fit perfectly. And my concern is of his lack of athleticism, his lack of explosiveness and speed, how will he fit on a team that runs and guns? He's never had to play on a team like that before. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting food for thought. I'm not saying he's not good enough to play in the NBA in the wrong situation or something like that, but he will. I'm afraid he's going to end up not having anywhere near the amount of effectiveness this coming year as he did last year. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. I guess uh, I want to bring it back to Brandon Clark, and for one, kind of want to give like a realistic comparison, but also like a ceiling. So like, what do you have for him? You said ceilings, Draymond. I would say ceiling is Draymond, a player similar to Draymond in some ways. More explosive. I, I, more explosive. I think he could be a better three-point shooter than Draymond is. He just needs to improve his three-point shooting. Yeah, I think he just needs reps, period. Shooting. I think he needs the freedom in live games, whether um, if he plays in Vegas Summer League or – He's not going to play. He'll, play. He'll, he'll, he can't he'll play, play in Utah. Yeah, he'll play in Vegas Summer League. He just needs Jenkins and other coaches just to give him the freedom to shoot because I don't think he had it in Gonzaga. And Mark Few did an interview of 92 9 with Gary Parrish, and he very confidently said he'll shoot threes in the NBA. That tells me that in Few's system, he just didn't feel comfortable letting Clark shoot threes. He thought right. that he could get better shots than that. So I think he'll be a better shooter than Draymond. That's not saying much. Draymond's had one good shooting season his entire career. Um, I think he shot 38% for three in 2016. Outside of that, it's been pretty bad for the most part. In fact, he's probably one of the worst volume shooters in NBA history. 
Um, but he's a. I see Clark as a guy that could space the court. Uh, it seems crazy to say it, but it, he's at the very least his ceiling is an elite role player and probably a borderline all star and all star level talent. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to look and see if he improves in the areas that we think he's going to improve. What will his weaknesses be? Virtually none. Vir- virtually none. He, he, he like will full- not. He will not bring any sort of negative to your team when he's on the court if his shooting improves. If he gets like 30 all he needs to be is like a 35 percent shooter yeah yeah and like make one a game make 80 a season right yeah and like you said with his reps i'm looking here he only shot 24 total threes in his three-year college career anthony davis is shooting about 34 35 percent for three on a good amount of volume of attempts and he never took anything in kentucky right so i mean i think it's like if he can get a three-point shot yeah i have a He's an excellent mid-range shooter. I have a quirky comp for him. What? Kyle Kuzman that can play defense. I like that. Right? Mm Because they have that similar spin move I was talking about. Both super bouncy, can get to the rim, very efficient finishers around the rim. Mm-hmm. Also, like both at the four. So, like, I, don't know, I like that a lot. Kuzma will probably always be a better shot creator than him. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. he'd be a better shot creator. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess Kyle. Similar K- size. Is Kyle Kuzma that can play defense? Did I just Pascal Siakam? Probably a better shooter than Siakam. Yeah. Not, not by much. Because Siakam could also create his own shot. Yeah, uh, I think Kuzma can create his own shot too. And I think Kuzma may technically be the better shooter. But I also think Kuzma takes a higher volume of attempts than Siakam. It'd be interesting to see, let's say, if Kawhi Leonard leaves the Clippers this summer, what Siakam would do with more of a heavy offensive role next season. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, realistically – it's tough. It, it's tough to come up with something like realistically that's it, not it's like... It's very mm-hmm. rare to see a guy go into the 20s in a draft who at the very least projects to be a good role player. And generally, I think that's his floor. Just a very... Like I said, maybe just supercharged P.J. Tucker. A six or seven man off the bench will bring good defense and energy. That's his absolute floor. Mm-hmm. And if that's who you're picking at 21, there's one of two things that happen. Either this is one of the deepest drafts in recent memory, or you had some people ahead of you making some extremely head-scratching decisions, which I think I'm going to go with the latter based off some of the picks that I saw on draft night. It's so weird because uh, yeah, we've seen this over and over again all these years. Ageism takes over mm-hmm. the hearts of these scouts, these GMs, to where it's like, you have all these guys that come in and, and impact the game immediately, and some are even, you know, third or fourth best players on championship level teams. I mean, Draymond, Malcolm Brogdon. I mean, we can joke about Chandler Parsons all we want, but in Houston, he was a third best player on a very good Houston yeah. Rockets team. Mm-hmm. Paul Millsap. I mean, the list just goes on and on of good players that were four year players, three, four year players. It, and they fall because teams are like, oh, I'd rather swing for upside. Yeah. and go, uh, Just go get a good player. There was an article from about a week ago, and it basically showed statistical trends. 
and it showed that scouting is generally, from a results-oriented approach, is not really any better than it was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. There's the same amount of buzz. There's the same amount of head-scratching decisions when you look five to six years down the line. And it makes scouts wonder, what are you? What are we doing wrong? What can we do differently to improve this? And Pete Pranica said on Twitter, he said, I think GMs has fallen in love with upside on guys who have not shown that they are good, competent, professional basketball players. I'm looking at you, Cam. Reddish. Yeah, and it's also one of these things, too, where a lot of these guys that are, you know, upside players, they've been the best player on these teams all these years, and they're just babied and catered. And, like, a lot of these other guys, they've played in, they've actually been playing roles in their college careers. And so they got by on talent and upside, while some guys had to work on skills primarily to hold their own. That's one thing that I absolutely love with Ja and Brandon Clark is. Both of them were unranked, unheralded uh, high school recruits, mm-hmm. and they worked their ass off to get to where they were. They and did. I think that's one thing that just doesn't go away. It's just the willingness and to work hard. I don't mm-hmm. think their work ethic's going to go away, and I, I think they're going to be even better. Like I think Brandon Clark can get a jumper. I think John Morant can get a jumper as well. John Morant will also get in the weight room. John like, Morant's got a jumper. And that's it. If we're as long as we're talking about scouts, but let me go ahead and tell you something. I've been watching some extensive Morant film for the last two weeks. Let me tell you, all the concerns about his shooting are massively overblown. Am I saying he's going to be a great shooter from day one? Probably not. But go back and watch some of his highlights from Florida State, and go watch his highlights that are not the five-minute mixtape dunk on you and one mixtape style videos. Go watch him perform actual skill plays in the pick and roll he could pull up from basically anywhere if against florida state now even though murray state ended up losing to a far superior team by 30 uh jai had five three-pointers in the first half of that game and four of them were off the dribble from nba range in the pick and roll stop worrying so much about mechanics because it's when scouts and coaches start to uh, get so obsessed over mechanics that you start to see them mentally mess with players' heads. Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball. Wade Baldwin. Wade Baldwin. Go I down. Remember, go down. Kyle Anderson. I actually remember listening to a podcast where um, it was Wade Baldwin and Evan Turner. It was like a road trip one. And Wade Baldwin said, you know, because he was a good shooter out of Vanderbilt. He was he should, a 40% he, three-point shooter. He projected as a good shooter. And, and he was terrible. And he he's, couldn't shoot. You know what he said? He said, I got into Memphis before summer league. They said, we're changing your shot. And he goes, I had sessions where I was shooting the ball 75 times and I would maybe only make three of them. Like, that's not that's not a 40% three-point shooter in college. Like, if someone's a good shooter in college, don't mess with their mechanics. Don't mess with their mechanics. Just let it go. If the ball goes in, that's all that should Matter. Martin. And I don't understand the thought process. Is I guess they think NBA players are longer and more athletic, which they are, and the line is a little bit further back. So if they don't fix their mechanics in the correct way, they're not going to make it with the same accuracy. I honestly don't think there's a ton of statistical evidence to support that. And I think we've seen plenty of evidence to show that uh, – well, Parker, let's just talk about you and I, you and me for a second. If you, let's just say, um, I wanted to change your shot, and we started working on your shot differently at Lifetime. Do you think you'd become a worse shooter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've because been shooting the same way for twenty plus muscle years. memory, and you're telling somebody to break away from muscle memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't overhaul someone's shot mechanics at 
after 20 years old you can't do that no not at all mm-hmm. well we did want to keep this one short because i mean you got to hear us on the uh the live draft show and i really appreciate you listening i really do even through the technical difficulties yeah it, it really does mean a lot to us that was a big opportunity for us and we had over 1500 listeners over the course of that two to three hours roughly yeah. Yep. Yeah. So we really appreciate that. We really appreciate you all turning, tuning in, reading our content because that really does mean the world to us. We like to engage with you guys, even if not, if y'all came and uh, saw it and met us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And also, I guess one thing to close the show is Grizzly fans, just be happy with what we got. And I don't think you realize. I still don't think y'all realize what we got. I mean, I know John Morant, second overall pick. He was mainly just the clear-cut number two guy behind Zion. Um, he's at the top of a lot of people's draft boards. But with Brandon Clark, I trust the opinion of the guys at the ringer a lot. Jonathan Charks, Danny Chow, Kevin O'Connor, the main three draft guys. Mm-hmm. Chow had him four. Mm-hmm. Sharks had him two or three. And O'Connor had him seventh. And he fell to 21. It, it's pretty like, incredible. Um, it... And it goes back to what we were talking about, that emphasis over upside, which I think he does have a ton of upside, but makes it all the more confounding that he fell that far. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'm just just so ready to get back in the grindhouse and watch John Morant, Grayson Allen, Kelly Oubre, Brandon Clark, (laughs) and Jaron Jackson Jr. just fly up the court. Yeah, I say Kelly Oubre. We got something coming next. I was more about Grayson Allen, but... uh, Okay, I mean, even he, he's going to get minutes. I'm he, not saying he he's start. He will average 15 to 20 minutes next year, unless he's just an absolute head case. I don't think and, so. I think, that, I think it's he, overblown. I think it's he's all generally pretty level-headed and just has a bad temper at times on the court. But hey, I like that. I like that fiery uh, competitiveness. Yes. Yeah, so we'll uh, go with that. Mm-hmm. Nate, plug your stuff in. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Big Nate Chester, and you can follow uh, follow all my Grizzlies related content at grizzlybearblues.com. And look for me to put all of my written content into a portfolio here very soon. Cool. Yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Follow the pod on Twitter at the Core Four Podcast with the number four, not the word four. Um, like, subscribe, give a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever you find your podcast. And with that, we'll see you later. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.